I already knew this was going to be way too high. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, as he said, my name is Mary Birch, and I do go with him, for those of you that may not know me. <clears throat> I have the privilege of getting to be up here this morning and sharing a word that I believe the Lord has for all of us. Everybody say, all of us. All of us. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke for a while now, and how many of you have just been challenged? Anybody? Challenged? Great. It's been so good. Um, Before I get into today's passage, though, you're going to get to know uh, a few things about me this morning, and one of those is that I have to break the ice. So whether we're meeting or we're going out for coffee or we're just hanging out, like there's got to be a little laughing at the beginning just to kind of loosen things up, Um, maybe disengage the fire, if that's the type of conversation we're having. Um, I hope none of us are at that place this morning. Um, But so uh, I'm going to tell you a joke. And I apologize if you've heard this joke from me before, but it's currently my favorite joke. And I'm going to tell it again because it's hilarious. And somebody in this room has not heard this joke, and I'm telling you right now, it is going to change your life. Okay, are you ready? Okay. How do you think... The unthinkable. Think about it. How do you think the unthinkable? If you know the answer, don't tell your neighbor. Are you ready? With an iceberg. (laughs) If you're not getting it, ask your neighbor. They might know. With an iceberg. All right. Okay. We're moving on. All right. Let's go ahead and start with our text this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible, Bible app, tablet, iPad, whatever it is that you brought. We're actually going to be looking at a few different passages this morning. So um, whatever muscles you need to stretch, if you brought your big Bible like me, maybe a full hand, stretch it out. If you're swiping, get that finger nice and worked out, crack the knuckle. Um, But we're going to be moving in there this morning. Um, Another thing you get to know about me is that I'm a tactile person, meaning I really enjoy the feeling of turning the pages as opposed to swiping on a screen. Um, I still like to read the newspaper. Um, I've decided already that I've become my father in this regard. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we were at Foursquare Connection, and we were at a hotel, and I woke up way before everybody else did and um, went downstairs and got my coffee at the breakfast table and my newspaper, and I just sat down. And I decided that I have now become a 70-year-old man living inside a 40-year-old woman. So <laughs> I digress. Uh, but along with tactile, I think visual goes together um, in the brain function. So when I read the Bible, oftentimes just random pictures will pop into my head. And I wanted to share one of, you, uh, one of those with you this morning as we start to read. So let's start reading in verse 27. And it says, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. This is what I saw. It's absolutely nothing to do with today's sermon. I'm just giving you a little insight. Maybe you can understand me a little bit more. (laughs) All right, moving on. We're going to keep reading. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests 
also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. The title of my message this morning is No Experience Necessary. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just come before you this morning and we just ask, Father, that your spirit would just settle in in this room, Lord, and that you would speak to every single heart that's here, Lord, that you have something that you want for us to receive this morning, God, and that our hearts would be open and soft to receive it, Lord. Give this time to you, Jesus. Let your words speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, my first point is you don't need experience to be called by Jesus. So here in the passage, we're introduced to Matthew, and this passage is referring to him as Levi. Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collecting is not a well-respected or even slightly respected profession. In fact, the Bible often uses the adjective despised to describe tax collectors. So suffice to say, Matthew has not been building up his resume down at the local nonprofit. He has not been working at the fish food bank making PB&Js for the homeless. No, in fact, quite the contrary, he has been running his own for Matthew's profit organization. He's been working for the Roman government, which has been oppressing the Jewish people by taking money from them. And he's probably been padding the amount so that he can skim some off the top, as was common practice, and making a pretty lucrative living off of the sacrifices and money of his hardworking peers. So this particular day, his office is right outside of Capernaum, which is a big city, and where he can collect money from anybody traveling into or out of. And Jesus had been ministering there. Last week, uh, Pastor Dan talked about how um, he healed the man that was paralyzed, and his friends lowered him down through the ceiling so that he could be healed. Um, And he was leaving when he saw Matthew sitting there. And he said to him, Matthew, go. Take some classes on how to be a more effective leader. (laughs) Clean up your life, get everything together, and then come back and let me know when you're ready. Uh, No, he didn't say that. What did he say to him? What did he say? He said, follow me and be my disciple. Does this story sound familiar? So turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Just a second to get there. It says, one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and at once followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. They were fishermen. Jesus found these men living ordinary, unglamorous, and even controversial and unethical lives. And right where they were, he said to them, come and follow me. 
And how did they respond? How did they respond? They said yes. They said yes immediately. They didn't come up with the list of 10 things that I have to do before I'm qualified to answer your calling or 10 reasons why I'm not qualified to follow you. No, it says in regards to Peter and Andrew, they left their nets at once and followed him. James and John, they immediately followed them. And Matthew, read with me in verse 28, back in Luke chapter 5. It says, So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And I want to unpack this verse just a little bit more. There's a response here to Jesus' call, and it's in three parts. And the first part is, he got up. He arose. In this context, the word means to change physical position from sitting to standing with the purpose of taking action. It requires a response. When Jesus calls you, you can't stay where you are. You have to move. You can't stay there. And I want you to hear the last part of that definition. It's with the purpose of taking action. So what's our action? Let's keep reading. Number two, he left everything. Matthew left his job and his income, but he also left his power and his influence and his community. Tax collectors were hated by Romans and Jews, and so they kind of had to form their own group of community, and that's where they kind of hung out. That's where they lived. That's what they knew. So he had to leave his comfort bubble and his security. Peter and Andrew left their livelihood. James and John left their jobs and their father. Now, the inference here can be that it's material possessions, but we also sometimes, church, we need to leave our stuff. Everybody say, we got to leave our stuff. Got to leave our stuff. Maybe some unhealthy attachments, addictions, emotional pits, destructive thought patterns. We got to leave it. And number three, he followed him. And what does it mean to follow someone? It means you go where they go. You do what they do. You learn from their teachings. If we understand that the Greek word here for follow means to accompany and assist as well as follow, and we see that when Jesus was calling people to follow him, he wasn't just saying, come tag along with me. Jesus doesn't want people to just listen and believe in him from a distance. He's inviting them. He's inviting you to come close, to join him, and even help with his mission. He wants people to be vitally engaged in both learning and doing the work of the gospel. And this isn't just something that was exclusive to the disciples. I read this the other day says Jesus is still inviting people to be his disciples and to personally join him, learn from him, and help him in gospel ministry. There is nothing passive about being a true follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, in Christian circles and in ministry, we often say about someone, man, that guy or girl 
has a call on their life. Have you ever heard that? Heard somebody say that? And we say that like it's an exclusive thing, right? Like you and you, you're ordinary. But that guy, he's got a call, right? And maybe it's the wrong choice of word, but we are doing a huge disservice to people saying that. Because you know why? Every single one of you in here has a call on your life. Everyone. Jesus is calling to you right now. Today, he's saying, follow me. He's saying, Mary, follow me. He's saying, Bree, follow me. Lori, follow me. Dan, follow me. I'm going to show you how to fish for people. I'm going to equip you through my Holy Spirit. And this isn't just a one-time experience. He doesn't just ask you to get out of the boat one time, and that's where your choice is made. This is an everyday response to his call to you to follow me. I have to make that choice every day when I wake up. Am I going to follow Jesus today? Am I going to go where he goes? Am I going to do what he tells me to do? Am I going to change my position to where I am ready to take action? You are called church. How will you respond to that today? Let's continue reading in our passage. Verse 29 says, Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Let me stop right there. So right after Jesus calls Matthew and he makes his decision to follow, somebody, uh, people even suggest that maybe it was the exact same day, a little bit later on, Matthew throws a party for Jesus at his house. And he invites his friends and coworkers to come. Now he hasn't been walking with Jesus for probably more than a day, but here he is wanting to share what happened to him. Who happened to him? with all of the important people in his life. And that leads me to my next point. You don't need experience to share your experiences. I'm going to say that one more time. You don't need experience to share your experiences. Many of us think that in order to tell people about Jesus, we need to have been a Christian for however long you fill in the blank. Or you need to take a class on evangelism. Or you need to have the right words to say. Or that you're afraid you're going to mess it up. But what did Matthew do here? Right away, he just shared his experience with Jesus. He introduced the people that he knew to the one that had just changed his life. He made Jesus the topic of conversation and the guest of honor. Now, hear me when I say there is value in learning, in being mentored, and being discipled and being a lifelong learner and soaking in as much wisdom and knowledge as we can to go further in our journey with the Lord. But when we choose to answer the call of Jesus on our lives, we are equipped right away to begin telling our story. You don't have to have all of the right words or be afraid because all you're doing is telling people what Jesus has done for you and through you. Your story doesn't just mean your salvation experience either. Often in church, we use the word testimony to refer to when we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. But all it really is, is just telling people, giving them an account of where you were and where you are. 
I think as we live our lives, and most of us here have jobs, or maybe we work outside um, of the church, um, we have a lot of opportunities to share Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. yeah. That coworker that struggles with addiction, the one who just lost her mom to cancer, the couple that's losing the battle to keep their marriage together, the ones that share their struggles with depression and anxiety, maybe that dad that's just having a hard time connecting with his kids. Where is there a chance for you to tell your story, or should I even say one of your stories with someone else? Where's your chance to make Jesus the guest of honor in the conversation? Let's look at some examples in the Bible of people with no worldly qualifications sharing their experiences with Jesus. So let's turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be reading about the encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Remember, he was traveling back to Galilee and stopped to get a drink. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the one you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me. I don't think I was going to read that verse. Nope, we're stopping right there. Okay, you spoke the truth. <laughs> Sorry. Now we're skipping down to verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. What did she tell them when she ran back to the village? Her story, right? Her story. My assumption is that everybody in the village knew her story up until her encounter with Jesus, right? She was living kind of an edgy life. She told them about her experience with Jesus that was unique to her. 
And their curiosity was so piqued, it says, the people came streaming from the village to see him. She had no grandiose or prolific sermon to preach. She had no reputation for them to even begin to think that they could believe her. But something about what she was saying and what she said was enough for them to want to see him and to experience him for themselves. Do you know what was the result of her sharing what she knew? Let's read verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. He stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Why did they believe? Not just because of what she said, but because they were then able to have their own encounter and experience the living, breathing, life-changing Son of God. Our story is a way to introduce people to the one who will change their lives. Let's look at another example. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 26 through 39. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes, across from the Lake of Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There had been happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let him enter the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the men, entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home, saying, No, Go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. So he went all through the town, proclaiming proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Here's a guy whose experience up until he meets Jesus consisted of being homeless, naked, mentally unstable, and possessed by demons. This is what people knew of him. 
but he meets Jesus. And Jesus changed everything. This man's encounter with Jesus is the only qualification he needs to go and tell others about the one who changed his life. Jesus told him, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. And he did. Experienced? Not as far as any of us would ever say. But he, the woman at the well, and we all have experiences that we can share that are uniquely ours. I want to challenge you to pray for an opportunity this week to share your story. We've done this before, and I remember uh, I was really excited to tell my story because up until that point, I kind of had my story. Maybe you do too. You know, the one that I always thought was really powerful and showed how the Lord, like uh, the most redemptive qualities, you know, the one that you're just like, oh, it's my story, you know. Well, the phone call came in the middle of that week from someone asking me to tell my story with someone else. And let me tell you, it was not the story that I was expecting to share. But it was my story. It was my story in as much as it is one of many experiences that I've had with Jesus along my ever-lengthening journey with him. That conversation was even with another wonderful believer. Our opportunities to share aren't always with people who don't know Jesus, but they are always opportunities to point people to Jesus. We never get more qualified to tell our story, you guys. We just get more material to pull from. You don't have to be afraid to tell people what you know because nobody can argue with it, right? So Matthew has Jesus and some of the disciples over for dinner with his friends, family, influential leaders in his community. Now, I wish that the scriptures would let us in on what was the result of that. Don't you? Can't you just imagine? There must have been some lives changed that night. You don't get to hang out with Jesus like that and not walk away the same. But it doesn't say. It does, however, tell us about other effects of their time together. Read verse 30 with me. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? We don't really have to read into that question about how they felt about that, do we? Not really. As I touched on at the beginning today, tax collectors were not regarded well, like at all. And we see that reflected here. If you cross-reference the same account in Mark 2, He takes it a little further by describing Matthew's guests as disreputable sinners. But he also states right after that that there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. The fact that Jesus would speak to them, let alone hang out in their homes with others like them, was probably felt as maybe betrayal, unethical, guilty by association. But don't you just love Jesus' response here? In verse 31, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those that know they are sinners and need to repent. If Jesus had been speaking into a microphone, he'd have dropped it right there. (laughs) Healthy people don't need a doctor. 
sick people do. Jesus is the great physician. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't just referring to physical ailments here. He's speaking from a spiritual standpoint as well. He came to restore health, to bring healing, to put back into alignment what has fallen out, our relationship with our creator. There may be some of you out there that are just so stuck because you have an area in your life that you're just, you can't move forward. Or you feel like it's been there too long. Maybe there's a deep wound that you've let stay there so long that now it's festered and you're sick from bitterness. Or an addiction that you keep coming back to. It's like a drug and as much as you want to stop, the physical need for it is so overwhelming you find yourself there again and again and again. Or it's destructive thought patterns. The enemy has been whispering lies over you for so long that they've embedded themselves into your mind where they've become twisted and mutated into what you now hear and believe is truth. What is it that you feel like has disqualified you from getting up? What is it that is keeping you in your seat when Jesus calls to you and says, follow me? Number three, you don't need experience to receive healing. If you've taken yourself out of the game, sat yourself down on the sideline because of an injury, Jesus is saying, I'm here for you. Don't not ask or receive his healing over your life because you feel like you're not good enough or deserving enough or you've had a bad day, week, year, life. He came for you. Now, I work in healthcare. I've been in emergency medicine for almost 20 years, the first half as a paramedic and the second half working in an emergency room. Do you know how many sick people I have seen? Can I just give you a situation to consider here? Just imagine with me that you're in my ambulance. We are equipped with all sorts of life-saving and life-sustaining equipment and supplies. You need it, I've got it. And a call comes in for help. We head out with lights and sirens going really, really fast. Now, that may or may not have been one of my favorite parts of my job, which might explain all of the speeding tickets I got as a kid. But anyway, we get there fast, and we rush inside of a house, and we find our patient lying on the floor. This person is very obviously sick. They're pale. They're sweaty. They're speaking very slowly. Their vital signs are pretty bad. And we check their blood sugar, and it's really low. Now, I'm here, and I have exactly what they need to make them better. Like, I can fix this. And I tell them as much. Can you imagine if lying there sick, dying, needing the help that I've brought to them, they start telling me all the reasons why I can't help them? I had a fight with my wife this morning. I haven't paid my taxes in five years. I haven't taken a shower and I smell, and I don't really want you getting that close, right? No, it's ridiculous. Or what if I started asking them for all the reasons why I should help them? Or what if I opened it up for discussion? With all of the family members standing around, hey, 
Does anyone here have any objections or reasons why I shouldn't help this guy? Their spouse would probably be over in the corner like, hey, There is no reason in the world good enough to keep me from giving that person life-saving treatment unless they refuse it, which they can. Remember that part of the verse that said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, a.k.a. those who think they don't need help, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Those who know that you have something that needs life-saving attention. Jesus is standing here before us this morning, and he's saying, I'm here, and I have what you need. He doesn't open it up for discussion. If he did, I know one person who would be standing over in the corner with his hands up and a list of accusations, right? But he doesn't. What is it this morning that you need healed? Where do you need a touch from the Lord this morning? What needs to be restored back to health? We've got to stop coming up with all these reasons why we are not good enough, why we aren't equipped or called to follow Jesus. I want to draw your attention to a passage in Matthew 9, chapter, or verse 35 through 38. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. May I propose to you that that verse in today's world may not just be in reference to the number of believers as we traditionally read the verse, but rather the amount of workers that have just taken themselves out because of any of the reasons that we've talked about today. I'm not called. I don't know how or I have no training or experience. Well, I have this area in my life that keeps getting me from standing up, but I just don't think God will heal it because... Why? Church, we need all the workers we can get. The harvest is great. Look around. Every one of us has countless people in our lives that need to be introduced to Jesus. Things are shifting all around us, and we are seeing more and more of God's people being called off the sidelines, off the bench, out of the hospital bed, whatever, and into action. Just two weeks ago at our Foursquare Convention, we had more non-credentialed attendees than credentialed. Do you know what that means? That means more than half of those attending aren't qualified in the world's opinion. They're not pastors. They're not getting paid by the church. They're just like you, and they're just like me, and they're getting in the game. Matthew 8, 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, 
And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We need you. God needs you. They need us. Let's watch this video real quick. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. God is calling you. And he's not asking for your resume. He's asking for you to respond. So what will be your response this morning? Do you need to get up? need to change your position so that you're ready to move where he needs you? Do you need to respond to that opportunity to share a chapter from your story? Do you have an area in your life that's been keeping you from responding to him that needs healing this morning? I'm going to open it up as well because I'm not going to limit what God wants to do here this morning that if you need a physical healing that you would not disqualify yourself from receiving that as well. We're going to have a prayer team down here right away. If you feel like you haven't responded to Jesus' call for you to follow him and you feel like it's time or you just want to re-engage and get back into the game because you took yourself out. We'll be down here and we would love to anoint you with oil and commission you. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to close in some worship.